Okay, everyone, welcome to Swarm Chatter Live number four. Sorry about the delay, had some connectivity issues here. Um, we'll be joined by Doug Bashef Binoy, so already looks like he's on. Um, a little bit different than the last one, it won't be as super Svarim centric, but a little bit more maybe about writing Svarim and books. So I see you're waving to me, but you should be invited. Did you get a direct message? Um, it should become in a direct message. There should be a link, or you can request to join. Uh, no, that's not doing it. Sorry, we're trying to get um, figure this out. How to go live every time? Are you getting a link, David? Or no, no link is coming through. Should have been a link. I did invite you. I'm not sure why it's not working. There, it went off. Let's see if it should come in a DM. It takes like a second. Uh, now you join back with that. Um, there we go. Now we got them on. Okay. Okay, now you're on. Can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear oh, me? I can. I'm sure everyone else can as well. It, 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 it's, I don't know why it like takes a while, a second for the message to come through, right? It is uh, very uh, eerie talking to you not through WhatsApp voice notes that are four minutes long each. This is very exciting. Yeah, well, hope this is longer than four minutes, but yeah. But on the average day, without a doubt, if you took our, all of the voice notes you send me, we're, we, it's at least a half hour of material. Yeah, uh, it could be. Could be. Okay, so let's get started here. First of all, Everyone here knows you from Twitter. What do you actually... Well, you hung up. Okay. Let's get him back on. Hold on. Are we able to join back again? Not sure what happened there. Okay. Let's... Hmm. You able to request to join again? No, I see you're clicking like. Gotta be a better way to figure out how to do this every time. There we go. You're back on. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't hop that if you minimize the window, it drops the call. So now I'm going to be more careful. Right. You have to use something else if you want a message during this call. You have to use a different device. Gotcha. Okay, so no, no one speak. Yeah, you're fading in and out over there. You hear me? Yeah. Okay. So I was saying, everyone here knows you basically from Twitter, obviously. What do you, I mean, most people probably know this also, but what do you actually do as a job? Yep, we lost him again. I don't think it's from my end. We'll get him back in a second. Um, give it a minute, and we'll see if we can get him back up. There we go. Okay, hopefully this is the last time he get he hangs up and gets back on. You're back again. Okay, are we back? Are we here? You're on. Okay, I'm so sorry about that. I heard your last one. This uh, takes a little bit of getting used to because it's uh, like a phone call, but not quite. Um, right. I work uh, in two places primarily. I'm the director of education for NCSY. Can you hear me or no? Yeah, there I do. Go ahead. 
So I work as the director of education for NCSY, and I teach in Yeshiva University. Okay. And what exactly, what, do you, what does it mean, director of education for NCSY? You come up with the curriculum, you oversee things. What, what does it mean? I, do you, when you hear on the app, are you hearing my voice talking back to you? Yep. What do you hear? I'm hearing, like, on the Twitter app, the way it's working is I'm hearing my own voice too much. Really? It's weird. I, when I, I talk, I don't hear my voice at all. But that's okay. I think we're, we're good. We'll keep going. I'm, now it's better. Okay. But I hear my voice, like, a second ago as it's going, which is my living nightmare of having to listen to myself <laughs> talk. Someone wrote lower your radio, but, yeah, it's not exactly, you know, someone calling in on, on, on 660. <laughs> So I teach, uh, I'll break down both. In NCSY, I oversee curriculum development. I do staff training and I run kind of like major national events for NCSY. I'm also on the editorial board of Jewish Action, which is the magazine of the Orthodox Union, uh, which is a, a real joy to put out that magazine. I love developing and creating content. And then aside from that, I also teach in Yeshiva University. I teach in Sai Sims a course on Jewish public policy. And I teach a course on, believe it or not, even though you beg me not to plug it, but I will anyways, a course on sin and failure. <laughs> of course you're going to plug your book. That's fine. You're, you're allowed to. Don't worry. That's a must. That's a must. That's what the people came to hear. Let's be honest. Somebody told me, I'm not going to say his name. Someone told me he's coming to hear because he wants to hear about your book. It's on his must buy list. He hasn't gotten to it yet. And he said he's coming to hear about it. So how on earth is my book sitting on a must buy list and hasn't yet? But it's it's an essential. Amazon's still shipping it even through the even through the pandemic. It's that important. Oh wow, I I am not sure. Um, okay, we'll get to the book a little bit later. So I wanted to start off is that like you said, you you really a lot of people also know you from your writing. You write for a number of outlets. First of all, where where has your work been featured? Obviously, I read your work in Mishpacha. And we'll get there. But where else have you written for? Do you currently write for anywhere else besides Mishpacha? I, I, I write a great deal for Jewish Action. I've written for Tablet Magazine. I've written, I've been published once in the Wall Street Journal. I wrote an editorial there last year. Um, I, I have a, a, an essay coming out by a, a little bit more of a progressive um, organization uh, with the Hartman Institute. They're putting out something called the New American Jewish Canon. I contributed an essay to that. I write to whoever wants me to write. I will send in something. Right. So so how, so how? what's the difference between you obviously send wherever, but obviously they're very different being more progressive or secular versus Mishpacha, which is a quote-unquote Haredi publication or whatever word you want to use, yeshivish. I don't know what word you want to use. But So what's the difference when you're writing? He hung up again. Oh, well, um, I'll continue my question when it gets back on. I'm trying to ask, what, what is the difference? Right, there we go. We got him back. Not sure why we're losing him so many times. Why are we losing him? What happened? It's, it's, this app is, I love Twitter. I hate being mostly laws on Twitter. This app is <laughs> terrible for these calls. It's a nightmare. Uh, really? I've done this a bunch of other ways, but this is... You know, we have to, to come into Twitter for what brings us all together. Um, right. I, 
Yeah, go ahead. I write for a bunch of different outlets, and it's given me a real appreciation for the different voices you need for different types of, uh, especially Jewish platforms, meaning any Jewish platform. Any Jewish platform is kind of niche. So, you know, whether it's uh, Mishpacha or Jewish Action or uh, Tablet, they're all reaching like a very niche audience. But the difference between all of these audiences is really kind of the vocabulary and experiences that you can create and connect with on the audience. Mishpacha, in a way, is the easiest to write for because their audience coming from Lakewood and Brooklyn, the five towns, uh, Eretz Yisrael, Cleveland, they, they come from all over. They have rich, rich Jewish experiences. So you can really highlight these minutia of Jewish life as opposed to if you write an editorial for the Wall Street Journal, you can't make fun of your mother's uh, string cheese. You know, you can't you can't make those jokes there. Right. So, so, and, and let, let's just jump into Mishpacha once you went through. So, for Mishpacha, for example, when did you start there and how did you start for Mishpacha? Uh, like most of my starts, I, I really started through, um, through Twitter. I was tweeting okay. a lot about Jewish life and ideas, and Surly Besser saw a bunch of my tweets. And then my dear friend Menachem Butler introduced me to Besser. And gave him a copy of a safer that I wrote. I wouldn't even call it a safer. It's a kuntress. It's on HebrewBooks.org. Baroges Rachim Tizkar. And he gave it to Sroli. We met. We shook hands. I didn't hear from him. It was in February. And then in May, Sroli Besser came back to me and was like, let me come over. I want to schmooze with you. I had no idea why. He came over to my house. And he asked me, like, you know, like, what do you do? Are you a lawyer? Like, he, he just looked at me because... I don't present rabbinish or rabbinic or anything. And I said, no, I'm a regular guy. I'm a, you know, I teach at work, teach in YU and CSY. He didn't, he just was trying to appreciate. And, and he has a good taste in people and, and like understands. And like, I broke the mold a little bit of like kind of what he was expecting. He ended up writing like a very short little feature on me, but which was nothing. And then he, he got back in touch later and he said, what I really want to do is you should be writing for us. And I started writing two years ago before Rosh Hashanah and did a top five list on top five made up Simonim. And where, where do you get an idea to do top five? It's obviously by now everyone, it's like a normal thing. Top five. Everyone on Twitter is top five this, top five that. But where did you come up with that concept? Top five Jewish, different Jewish themed things. I'm, all media, when I think about how to write it, people focus much more on the on the content and not enough on the structure. This is like my number one theme when it comes to people writing. And I'm all about structure. How do you structure the pieces? And the top top ten list, top five list to me are like a natural way to do this. Uh, whether it was from David Letterman or from BuzzFeed. I mean, I got it from uh, late night television, from secular culture, but I realized that Yiddishkeit has such a rich culture of its own that we should develop our own top five lists. And they didn't take off right away. It, it took off. It took off. I originally wanted it to be that I did five and other people did the other five. Uh, right. Nobody sent in the first couple of months. And then people really started to get into it. We, we still drop readers. Only one or two successful readers 
scented lists. Um, and then it, it kind of took off and became its own thing. Right. Um, I think it used to say like top five out of ten or something, maybe. Yeah, that was the original. It used to be five out of ten, and I would ask the readers, you submit the other five. But I stopped doing it because, you know, it's too hard. It's too hard for the readers. They weren't able to do it, really. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like so like you're saying, something you write in Mishpacha is going to be a totally different kind of thing than you'd write in Tablet, for example. Totally different. No, I would write, I would write a, a top five list for Tablet. I could do that for Tablet. I just think the type of words and experiences and the way that you structure and bring in your reader needs to be totally different. I, I think that if you take Svarim off the wall and you look at the way different Talmidi Chachamim set up their pieces in Svarim, uh, whether you know you compare the way Rev Hutner and Rav Volbi. Rav Volbi was a Talmud and was influenced in a great deal. But you compare Rav Hutner and uh, Rav Tzadok. Also, there was influence there. But everybody structures it a different way. And I, I, I pay attention to the way audiences want their information structured. So I already, the way I structure Mishpacha pieces is like I'm writing these little mini skits. Right. And they're each, each one's a little skit. When you write for like a, a tablet or a Wall Street Journal and a much broader audience, you can't do those deep, quippy dives into these minutiae. Um, and you have to be much quicker to the point, much faster, which, which is more challenging. But I think, you know, it's a good skill that a lot of people, particularly from the Olam HaYeshivas, um, you know, work on developing. It, it, it doesn't always come as naturally because they're not used to writing for wider audiences. Right. And would you, do you also, would you say that you use a different voice in the two? Almost like one, you're more a mishpacha. It's almost like more, what the right word is, like chummy. Like it's more, everyone understands. It's insider. It. It's silly. Right. It's, it's insider. Medrash. That's what I mean. And when you're writing in tablets, not only that the structure is different and the content a little bit different, your, your voice you're using is going to be different, right? Totally. With tablet. I'm just picking them as an example, by the way. It could be anywhere else. It doesn't have to be them. It's not them specifically. Yeah, just... no. When I write outside, Mishpacha is like Shalashudis. I'm with my Chevra. I'm with my right. friends. And I could really speak. In other places, um, you know, when I'm writing, I, I wouldn't, I'm not a scholar, but I'm writing, I'm trying to distill an experience that everyone can appreciate, that you don't have to have been to a yeshiva for five years to understand. Right. And Someone wrote here. Important. Someone wrote, Mishpacha is written as a yeshiva guy. I guess you write everywhere else, it's more professional. It doesn't mean it's not professional, Mishpacha. You're just writing it as a professional yeshiva guy almost in Mishpacha. A great example is I wrote a piece about Rav Hutner for Tablet, and I wrote a piece about Rav Hutner in Mishpacha magazine, and I wrote a piece about Rav Hutner in my Svarim. And compare right. them, and you'll see the what I choose to highlight in each of the different audiences is going to be very, very different, and the way I'm able to talk about them is going to be different. Oh, I mean, so they all a, got criticized. Right, but that's another thing. The way you're able to talk about things. So do the different outlets, uh, the word censors a bit strong, but do they control, whatever the word is, do they allow you to, you, do they even allow you to write certain things, or depending on the outlet, they may not allow you to say certain things? The better the outlet, the more it, your pieces are going to get edited. I just, I just wrote a piece that I had submitted to like very big outside organizations, 
like uh, like big, you know, national media all got rejected with kindly, but rejected. And I looked at the piece again and I started off, I literally started the piece with a joke about my mother's string cheese purchasing. And like, I looked back and I'm like, Dudley, what were you thinking? Like, they're not, this isn't for the masses. You could do that in Mishpacha magazine. You can't do that for the, for the wider audience. But I think the challenge is such an important challenge to be able to write a piece that you could give over as a sheer in a kolel with Myra McComos, like with a Magid Sheer present, and you could publish it in a safer and take that same piece and turn it into a magazine op-ed in a Jewish action in a Mishpacha magazine and take that same idea and transfer it into an editorial that could go into tablet or the Wall Street Journal. It gives you a versatility as a communicator that I think more people, particularly from the Olam Yeshivas, we, we need to have that. You know, I, I'm trying to think like who my predecessors were. When I first published my book, the, they asked, the, people are like, like, who are your writing role models? So right. in Hebrew, my writing role model, and I mean this structurally, he's always been Rav Herschel Schechter. He has a very creative way in the way he structures his, his pieces. In Eres Hatzvi, in Be'ikve Hatzon, he always starts out of left field and then kind of brings you in. I love the way the Stipler writes. Um, Stipler is a beautiful writer, and I had his svarim open when I was writing. I don't write, I don't write such a Hebrew so well, but I'm just looking at his transitional phrases. Right. Um, and in in English, the writer who I really loved the most was Louis Jacobs. I don't want to get myself in trouble. I don't know if you know who that is. No, no, uh, not Louis familiar. Jacobs is going to be the. Menachem Butler calls him the greatest chief rabbi Britain never had. He was about to be the chief rabbi, and then they found out, you know, found a little bit of uh, of Kira underneath the the underneath the mattress. <laughs> he was a brilliant writer, though. What did he What did he write, for example? Um, I think we have reason to believe their head their heads in heaven. He, he was a masterful, masterful writer. Okay, I'll check it out. Not familiar. So, segueing here a bit. So, you mentioned before in the beginning that you wrote a safer, Baragiz Rachem Tizgar, which I'll show everyone. I don't know how well Oh, they... hello. Right here, pull it out. This was actually sent to me uh, by somebody, David uh, Bashevkin. But, <laughs> anyways, this this is also about sin, and this came before the book, which everybody knows. Hold on, hold on. It has to be my book. Oh, there, there it is. Screenshot. So, oh, everybody gosh. knows. Knows the two, so this came first. Now, obviously, the the dramatic, dramatic, very different, right? The book, the, the safer, or the contrast, whatever you want to call it, is um, a safer, and it really is. And the book is an academic book written on this topic. So, obviously, we're, we're just talking about writing differently. I, not only is your audience going to be pretty different here, not not totally different, but what? How how do you go into writing a, a safer with simonim? on a topic versus writing an academic book. Yeah, I, I think the difference is really is there are some major differences, but there's a lot of overlap. The thing that I think a yeshiva guy can appreciate the most or people who kind of grew up in a yeshiva community is that any great writing requires organized thoughts. You need to be incredibly organized with the material that you gather before you start writing, if when if the moment you sit at your computer to start writing, you have a blank page, you've already failed because you need all of your thoughts. And, and the, 
again, I'm not I'm not comparing myself to any of these people, but you know, Ramosha Feinstein wrote notes. These people wrote notes on their on their learning and they organized them. And if you're not right. taking advantage of that and you just kind of have it all spinning around in your head, it's gonna I don't be know. very, very difficult to write. Not sure so, Ramosha's the best example, by the way. You ever see Dibber Smash, it doesn't stop, but yeah. <laughs> that's a perfect example. I don't know. But yeah. That's also true. But 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 I I write such meticulous notes that when it came time to actually write, it was actually a breeze. Meaning I was able to write the Kuntras, Safer, whatever you want to call it, in probably around three and a half weeks and then oh, two wow. weeks of editing. And then I wrote the book in like six months. But that's because when I sat down, I already wrote out a full table of contents, the table of contents and all the subtopics. And what I did was, and I always recommend this to people before they publish anything, I went into a bookstore and I started like going up and down the aisles in Barnes and Noble in a Svarum store. And I asked myself, what do I want my safer to look like? And when people, and not a ton, but people come to me now and then and ask about what, you know, how to write a book, where do I start? I always send them to the bookstore. Go to the bookstore and tell me where you would find your book and what it would look like. Right. And come back to me and tell me what the name of the, kind of five, six titles what it looks like. The second thing is, and this is a must read, you can put it in the links. There's a great article, which actually has a typo in it because it's ironic because it's about writing properly. Um, filling in a brown paper bag. Did you ever read that article? By, by who wrote that? Emanuel Feldman. It's a classic. It's a classic maybe, maybe. article. It, it rings a bell. It's the brother of Aaron Feldman. The no, I know, right, I know. He was from Atlanta, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. The school without a Clark. Yeah, he's a brilliant writer. Had a huge yeah. influence on me. Huge influence on me as a writer. And he has this article called "Fill It in a Brown Paper Bag." And the reason why it's so wonderful is because he talks about how we don't wrap our tefillin with coarse rope, our sifretor with coarse rope. We don't put our tefillin in brown paper bags. So why is it? that when it comes to writing our ideas and sharing our ideas, so often um, we use this like very basic um, mangled English. Like it, it, we just don't write properly. And it's like putting our tefillin in a brown paper bag. Part of the hither mitzvah of writing should be writing beautifully. And, and I'm a stickler for that. I don't think there's an excuse. If you think that you're writing a grace of Kiddush, Hebrew or English, and you're just not writing properly, and that's not affecting the quality of the idea, I think you're absolutely wrong. Right. It probably is, but I'm no expert on this, but probably part of it also is that being in America, you know, the Yeshiva system isn't, the English isn't great, and obviously the Hebrew also isn't. They don't speak Ivrit, and, you know, in Israel, at least they speak Ivrit, so they're even if... I can't write a word of Ivrit. I'm not talking about Ivrit. No, no, I, I understand. I understand you, but that, I think that helps them. Even when they're writing Russian Kaidish or you know Aramaic Yeshivish, they're they're able to write better. Here, it's just you don't have either. You're like just the hindus the hair, so they're just not perfect in anything. I think that. I might, don't know why we settle on that. I don't think we should settle on that. Ask the Maturgamon. I'm not saying you should Maturgamon's settle. The big Grisa writer. Where is he? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's listening to this. I I I will definitely reach out to him. But yeah, I'm not, again, I I hear you. But in, now, in, in terms of like, even, even I mean, even in terms of the content. Your safer is gonna is gonna even though it's related to the same topic, the content in there and the, the sources are I imagine are different than the book, right? I went through a little bit of the safer. It's not the same as the book, right? Yeah, like you know, there's one chapter, the third chapter. I have a shtickle called Chatoyim Lamala Min Abechira, 
which talks about Averas that transcend sin. And I have such a good intro shtickle based on a Hassam Sofer in a Gemara that frankly was too complicated to render into English. It was just a very good read on a Gemara in Brachos. With Hassam so- it was like very sharp. And I come back to it later in the piece. Do you have it there? It's Simon Gimel. Where is this? Simon Gimel, yeah. Okay, I'm not seeing this right here. Uh, Gemara Yuma, Gemara Kedushin. Where, where was this piece? What yeah, 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 the Gemara Yuma, Ravuna. It's also in Brachas. Right, I could put up a picture of it after. I'll find where it is. I'm not. Oh, Divrich Samsefer. I have some Samsefer Chulin, yeah. But the Hava being of Ravuna that came into Avra Adam Avera Vishanaba, you know, Nasalo Keheter. Right, right. Nasalo Keheter. It's not actual. So that Hava being of Askot in the Gemara. Again, if you're writing in Hebrew, you, I, I had a great intro and it was a great hook to pull people into the idea. In English, right. you have to find other hooks and other ways of framing issues. And, you know, like in the book, I was able to talk about rabbi son syndrome and, and how growing up in a rabbinic home, what effect that has on the child. I couldn't put that in a in a safer. I didn't I don't want to write, you know, like narrative. I'm not able to and I didn't want to. Right, but it, it's also a safer to safer academic books of books. It's similar to what you were saying before, writing for different outlets. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, now, and I, I think probably at this point, a lot of people watching want to know is, why haven't they really heard of your safer when your book is, they hear about it every day? <laughs> I did not write my safer to uh, to sell copies. Why not? I put it up for why not? on HebrewBooks.org. Well, why not? I think Beagleisen sold it at one point, right? And they sold seven copies. I don't know. Seven but now but now you're much more well known. Now everyone knows the book. I don't know. You don't think people would buy it at this point? Not nah, I don't need people to buy it. It was, it was for my for my well, wait, 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 wait. But website. Why, so hold on. So but why should people buy the book and not buy the safer? I think the safer is I want to. That was a matana. That was a matana. Give it to the world. It's on Hebrew books. The book I have a publisher is much more official, you know, and it's more it's more fun to see your your cloud jump up on Amazon. But you know, you're, ne- you're never going to get a big readership in a Hebrew country on Averas. It's not going to happen. Okay, well, English you seem to have definitely gotten a lot of people to read about sin, which is pretty impressive, also. Uh, it's been a joy. Sin and failure is close to my heart. Right. And I think you wrote in the safer that it's something, or didn't you, you started giving a, um, uh, you were giving like a chaburus, a shiurim on it? Yeah, I give a class on it in NYU. I combine both. Someone just asked, what's better for the Sparum Chatter audience, the book or the safer? Mm. Yeah, you also double dip. You, you, ta- you taunt on all the chasanas. That's why you're so geschmack. <laughs> okay, let me get to something else that you... It says you're the author on Manucha's website, but you're the editor of this, right? The just one, the NCSY Haggadah that came out last year, right? You, what, so what, what, what did you do in this project? You know, you're the editor, the author. I, I wrote this Haggadah because, I'll be honest with you, I find Haggadahs to be the biggest distraction at the Pesach table. And I'm I, guilty of, I'm the most guilty of it. I sit down at my Seder and I have my uh, Encyclopedia Talmudit uh, Haggadah, oh, and I have my no. Haggadah, I have the Rosh Hashiva Haggadahs from Art Scroll. Oh, oh man. And, you know, you that guy. making Kiddush, you have to turn 10 pages to get through Kiddush. It's, it's terrible. Awful. You know, I think Masada of Cook, maybe, they're the ones, and a lot of the Haggadahs, they print the Haggadah first, and then print the Haggadah with the Pirish. 
or vice versa. So I, th- that's actually very good. Yeah, Masifta Marcheves. Yeah, I have the Masifta Marcheves. You, you don't you don't talk to anybody. This, well, and, or, it's counterproductive. Yeah, it doesn't mean to learn before, but of course no one does, right? Everyone goes to, well, unfortunately, not going to be shul this year, but everyone usually goes to shul, right? And they pull, they start learning on the Haggadah right before it's time for the Seder. And then they come to the Seder and they're still learning the whole time. So this Haggadah, I, I, I put it out today. I put a list of Haggadahs. I wanted to feel I could have been, you know, helpful to people that are going to be home making a Seder for the first time. Um, Obviously not a perfect list, but just stuff they could order. This Haggadah last year, I, we bought, I bought it. Um, partially because you wrote it, and my wife really ended up using it, and she loved it. So because, oh, that's very partially, nice. partially for that reason, we and we really looked at it. It's very, you know, I, why don't you talk about it? Not me. The inspiration for the Haggadah is Rebbe Kiva Eger. Okay, and I want to explain why. And I've written about this before. When Rebbe Kiva Eger published his Chuvos, so his children put out his Chuvos, and if you look at the Haggadah, he has a letter to his children. Yeah, famous. And he says in the letter, he says, I want you to be careful that when you publish my chuvas, you have to do me a favor. You have to make sure that the font size is a good font. You have to make sure that the ink is quality ink, and you have to make sure that the paper is quality paper. It's and just... his kids took it so seriously. And my dear friend, Penny Stieglitz, who's also the buddy of Mizrahi, I don't know if you know him in the rare no. book world. He's a genius. So Penny Stieglitz has the first edition of Chuvas from Akiva Eger. And he showed me that when it was published, his kids took his tzava so seriously about the aesthetics right. of the Sefer that when they published it, when they had room left on the page, they put in pictures. There's a picture of a deer, of a lighthouse, of a bird. Wow. So, so it looks pretty. And I realized that Rebbe Kiva Eger had a commitment to the quality of the medium and not just the quality of the message. And by the way, so and, one second, that that is like the number one thing. I being as far as being in charge of, uh, you know, yeshiva and shul, shivisha guys. Are, why can we have the old print? Who cares for the new one? That's like the go-to thing. Like, no, it makes a difference actually in your learning to have something really nice. But go ahead, continue. Oh, for sure, for sure. And Penny, Penny, and Shimon Steinmetz and Mizrahi, you know, they, they introduced me to that world. Right, but. When it comes to the Haggadah, for me, the reason why I think uh, we paid so much attention to the aesthetics and the design and to have the Vart look, it's called Just One, not because it's the only Haggadah you'll ever need. I'm not the Rambam of Haggadahs. You can buy other Haggadahs. No, for sure. Because it's just one Vart, like one idea on each segment of the Seder, because I wanted to be able to frame and make each section of the Seder feel different and feel like you're entering something new. And you can hold up pictures like visually we made infographics and we really try to make it immersive. So even though most yeshiva guys who would pick it up would say, oh, this is for, you know, I don't know, Bali Chuva, people without a Jewish background. I didn't write it with them in mind. I wrote it with me in mind. Right. And that's what like so it has here, you know, it's going to have here the origin stories. On, on, on superheroes. So obviously on that part, it's not going to say, oh, the yeshiva guy, but I think a lot of it, it's really just so just some beautiful pieces. And like you said, it's just the, 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 the graphics are, are fantastic. But, and but just... I want to I argue with you. I think Why? the yeshiva guy needs the origin story. He needs the analogy. We're up to, we're up to our noses in Vartluch on the Haggadah. Like, I just feel like... Right, you should know, this is, this is one, the Dayenu Var, I think, is, is beautiful, by the way. I don't know if you remember the Var. I think it's That's really so nice funny part. that you brought that up. It's the I... one thing that got censored in the original. I first made a Haggadah, and I included a poem that somebody wrote about Dayenu to his okay. wife. And it was a little too romantic. 
for people. <laughs> and uh, much like Making of the Gunnel, uh, the romantic poetry eventually, uh, we had to change it. We had, we, had to, we had to change that page. But I think in general, we just, there's so much, we're up to our noses in Vartluff. Do we need another Vart on, on Ilu Kiverno Lovne Harsinai and why would have that been enough? I mean, let you, you know, you know the Vart in that, right? Vartluff. You know, the, 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 the word, and there's a couple of things in that, but that's really, there's a Gemara Navi Dazar about that. Oh, Nachi, Rabbani Shalom. You give me another word on that Kasha, I'm going to... No, it's to be shining him. No, no, that's to be shining him, Tara. It's the Gemara Navi Dazar. I know, I know, yeah, yeah. That's the classical answer. I'm not going to say it, but yeah, anyone can look at it. But that's what I'm saying, like... Do we need another vart, or like do we this is great over here also. Different pictures where you have on on, on Shulchan Aruch, you have about the foodie with the whole Instagram, the food, the Jesus cat and food. I thought it's very enjoyable just to look through. Um, the, the graphics are really good. It's just so. Would you tell people even if it says the NCSY Hagada, but it, so why would a, someone listening to this that's not an NCSY person, you know, why should I buy Shiva Gan Lakewood? Why should he buy the Hagada? What would you say? Because if for you the Pesach Seder is about having a beautiful page but not getting stuck in an 11-page vart and an 11-page shtickle Torah, but being able to see a beautiful idea and then get off the page and connect to the people around the table, then this is the Haggadah for you. I want you in and out on the page, and I want most of your time spent connecting and sharing the ideas with people. And they're not ideas like, I don't quote Mara Makomos, there's no Ritzvahs, there's no Rajvahs, there's no Shizabikubetzes, it's a good idea. There are analogies and just different, um, like, there are different places for you to pick up your Haggadah, your Seder experience. And that's, right. that's how I designed it, with an eye for the aesthetics and for the design, that it's very beautiful. But you're yeah. not going to get every single Shita on Korech and Karpas in there. No, no, no. It, it, it's, meant, it's, very, it's very usable, but in, like you said, it'll have thought-provoking ideas and a small word in there that will help you. I, I really... Like I said, I'm not saying it only because you're on with me. I, my, we, we used it last year. We really enjoyed it. And well, I, I know you're being serious because I begged you to say nice things about the book and you refused. So I, I'm I, only going to say nice things about the Haggadah. I don't dislike the book. I, I didn't actually finish it, I'll be honest. And and uh, like books like – I'm more into reading like history books, like theology books sometimes. Like get, Nazi, it's geschmack to tease you because you never know when I'm teasing. <laughs> That's exactly. What makes it so exactly. But but the Haggadah, like in serious, it's really enjoyable. I would advise anyone to, to check it out. Like you said, for actually using by the Seder, I, I got it. Like I said, I bought it last year because you wrote it, so and I'm friends with you. But then I, I we actually ended up using it and we really enjoyed it. So it's something that's you know really nice. That that means a great deal, Nachi, and uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, to speak and to connect. I don't know if I just messed up there. You can no, you that. messed up. Oh, yeah. Wait, you're, you're hanging up already? I got a couple more minutes. Uh, soon. Let, let's, let's, let's add one thing. Let, let's just hit on one more thing. That's really one, let me just hit on this. Being that you're a big from Twitter guy, what's your whole take on the whole from Twitter situation? Um, I don't like talking about it. It's like Jewish for me. that When you have to explain the joke, it kind of sucks the life out of the joke itself. Twitter is a community like any other. It's an online community that has unspoken rules and etiquette and the way that we kind of connect with one another that I think is very, very special. Um, I think recently, as, as from Twitter has gotten bigger and bigger, I think we do need to be more mindful 
of opportunities of Kiddush and Chil Hashem. We're not speaking in the back of a base measure where nobody else can hear us. Right. And people need to be careful about that. And, and we're, they're not being careful enough. And it's something I'm super, super careful about. We, you know, jokes at other people's expenses or trolling other people. Our community needs to be better than that. It needs to be the most upbeat, wonderful, warm, welcoming community. We don't. We could all speak about all the insider stuff. And what you do is so amazing because you do your thing. And if you want to join the conversation, Matova Manayim. And if you don't, then shalom bracha. It's a no, no harm, no foul. And I think we just need to be a little bit more careful on that. You know, whatever. I don't need to to give uh, Musar on a live uh, no, no. about Twitter itself. But but that that to me is something that needs to be said. As somebody who dances at a lot of different chasanas, it's something I'm sensitive to. But I, I think it's a, there was a Jewish action article that we just wrote about um, humor on Twitter. And I think that that's an important thing. People shouldn't think that from Jews are just sitting around, you know, at Trump rallies all day and you know, talking politics and money and all this stuff. There's no politics on my have... Twitter feed. I, I try to stay far away from that online. From pol- yeah, political Twitter is not for me. Politics in general no. isn't for me. Agreed. It's a COVID Ponzi scheme, as I like to say. Yep. Um, but but I think the main thing is that we have a warm, vibrant community, and people like yourself. Not well. He hung up. I don't know if if he's going to get back on or not. Um, I guess we'll give him uh, a drop to see if he'll get back on before he actually makes his exit. Um, now that he's not on, I can tell you that the Haggadah is really good. I would suggest if you want an English Haggadah to check it out. No, he's back on, so stop talking about him. Let's see if he's going to rejoin us, ask to rejoin the call. If not, we'll just uh, end over here. Are we able to get back on, or it's not letting you get back on? Oh, there we go. We'll let him finish his thought. And uh... Okay, you're back on. You can end, you can end with, the, with this thought. I think what you're doing and what so many people are doing, which is sharing rich, deep, quality ideas, whether it's humor, whether it's svarim, whether it's divrei Torah, whatever it is, if it's of quality and it's it's raising the level and the depth of Yiddishkeit, you're doing good things. Whether it's online or in person, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, kalamarba harizemeshubach. That's my uh, take on uh, from Twitter. Right, and that's the proper way to use it. Um, I guess the last thing I would ask is, so is Twitter your real voice, authentic, real you, or that's just another one of another voice? I think if you take Twitter, Mishpacha, the book, the Safer, and uh, my tablet articles, and you put it all into a chillin pot and you let it simmer for a little bit, and you add in a little bit of scotch and Olchaim on Erev Shabbos, <laughs> probably my real voice will emerge from the uh, collective flavoring. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking about it. I appreciate it. Such a pleasure, Nachi. We've been cashier. All the best. Okay. Take care.